0: Well, it's a privilege to be continuing on in the book of Joshua, and just so you know, I know we're into the Advent and Christmas season, and uh, next week we'll finish off Joshua and be able to center uh, completely upon uh, the reason for the season, but uh, today we have a very interesting passage of scripture that we're going to be looking at, and um, before I begin, I wanted to say that I was at a meeting yesterday all morning at uh, Dave Wynn's home, the moderator of our board, and... um, we had the three pastors as well as the three leaders of the teams, the prayer team, the capital funds team, and the building team for the McGillivray project. And, and we had a great morning together. And uh, in the process of this uh, discussion, I, I realized that it, in a fresh way, I, I mean, I knew this, but I, in a fresh way, I realized we're not building a building. Uh, we're, we're building people. And we always have to be centered on people. And in fact, that as we... As I thought about that and heard the guys talking yesterday, I realized that it, it it really is all about the kingdom of God and the people that make the kingdom, and and that uh, the building, if it ever happens, is going to have to serve that, serve us to become more of the people that are kingdom people with building a a bigger kingdom footprint on this planet for the glory of God. And so, in thinking about that, you know, you can take a look. At the person beside you, you can turn to your left or right or turn around and you can look at them and you can say, basically, if if this thing's going to happen, not the building, I'm not talking about that, I'm talking if we're going to be growing the Lord's kingdom, more people coming to reverence Jesus for who he is, then, then it's up to us. And I I got a picture of that as I was thinking, I got a picture of the tribes of Israel that we've been going through, Joshua, and you can imagine this stage of our sermon series right now is is where all the land had been divided up. I mean, it's all out there, we've got the 12 different allotments or portions of the inheritance for the promised land, and for the most part Canaan had had been dominated, but there's still pockets of resistance and enemies that had to be dispossessed and so on. And so every individual tribe, I can just imagine that when they broke from Shiloh, you know, from the tabernacle, and Joshua said, "Okay, well, there it is, folks. Go, 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 do it." And I can imagine that, you know, they, each tribe, they they turned and looked at each other. They just, it's up to us, you know. It's this is this is what we got. You know, the greatest treasure in the church is just the people, and and either we're going to be kingdom takers or we're going to be. We're going to be not kin- kingdom takers, and, and that's, that's what it's all about. And the thing that is, is critical to this for this morning's message is this, that if we are going to say that we are all about nurturing followers of Jesus Christ through healthy relationship, then we better be about healthy relationship then we better, as we look at the kingdom, if we're inviting other people to come into the kingdom of which we are a part, then we better look like we really are enjoying the kingdom and that we actually get along in this kingdom of heaven. I mean, what's the value in in, in saying to someone, come to my church, you never know when all hell is going to break loose. (laughs) It's not the best way to grow the church. And so today as we look at this, I'm so glad that Rennie. In his little testimony, he shared that it's all about loving one another. And today we have this privilege of, of looking at what does it mean to maintain peace and to restore peace in the church family, in the body of Christ, when it has not been kept and maintained. And so after an emotional goodbye, wherein Joshua dismisses the two and a half tribes of Israel to return to the east of the Jordan and settle down, there transpires an incident that takes the nation to the brink of civil war. And that's going to be our focus this morning. Let's catch ourselves up on the history just momentarily before we jump into chapter 22. We are at this place where now the land has been divided. And each tribe is responsible to go in and possess the inheritance that God had promised to their forefather Abraham 600, 700 years earlier. And so as they do that, there's something very important that's, that's uh, going to happen. Is Joshua is going to go to the two and a half tribes... ...of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And he's going to say to them, you know, you guys now, you've done your part. Go back now east of the Jordan to your home. Remember, back in Joshua chapter 1, we saw that that before they entered and crossed Jordan, uh, Joshua took these same two and a half tribes aside and they said, uh, ...remember the, the promise that you made to Moses. The promise you made to Moses was back in Numbers chapter 32... When on the east side of the Jordan River, all of the Israelites came upon the Jordan, and these two and a half tribes came to Moses and said, don't make us cross the Jordan. Uh, don't, we don't want to cross the Jordan. We like this land. We like this area. Let us, let us own this land. And I, I'm not sure why. It, it, it doesn't completely make sense to me, because the land that Abraham had been promised was on the west side of the Jordan. And so, But Moses concedes and says, yes, but on one condition. And the condition was that they go and lead the charge across the Jordan to help their brothers and sisters take possession of their inheritance and their land. And once that's done, then you can go back. Well, that's where we are in chapter 22 of Joshua. Joshua, in verses 1 to 9, takes them aside and says, you've done your part, you've been loyal to your brothers and sisters, now go in peace. And, and it says twice, he blessed them. And he even told them, take your share of, of all the booty that we've got, all these, the cattle, the gold, and so on. And so they, they send them off. And in verse 10, in this chapter, we see that in, in verse 10, it says that before they cross the Jordan, they build this enormous altar. It, was, uh, it, was, it must have been fairly large and big and, and, and seen from a distance. And of course, the the writer is summarizing, and we read right after they build this altar, which is a replica of the altar that stood in Shiloh ahead of the tabernacle where sacrifices were made. Right after that, in verse 11, it says that, that the Israelites, the nine and a half tribes on the west side, they find out about this altar, and they jump to the conclusion that these people have already started to worship the gods on the east side of the Jordan to worship the gods of the peoples that we have tried to, say, to to, to dispossess. And and by the end of verse 11, they're ready to go to war. This war-tired people from taking the land are ready now, based on one report, to go to war against not the enemy, but their own brothers of Israel. You have to ask yourself, what's going on? Well, praise the Lord, they didn't go to war. We read in verse 12 that one of the priests forms a group of ten more people, one from each tribe, and they, they send a delegation. They go as a delegation and they confront these two and a half tribes on the eastern side of the Jordan. And in the confrontation they say, you know, you know what happens when we disobey God. And he refers to, they refer to various incidents where one person of Israel sins everybody in Israel suffers. And they confront them. When the confrontation comes, we see that in in verse uh, 21 and following of chapter 22 in Joshua, the response of Israel on the two and a half tribes, the response is absolutely, no, no, we're not at all trying to rebel against the Lord God. In fact, they say in this text, in chapter 22 of Joshua, Joshua and verse 21, it says, 22, the mighty God, the Lord, the mighty God, God, the Lord, he knows, and let Israel know, if this has been in rebellion or disobedience to the Lord, do not spare us this day. Pretty, pretty serious business. If, if we're in rebellion here, then just, just wipe us out. Don't spare us. And so, and they go on and they convince this delegation that they're on God's side, that why they built the altar on the west side of the Jordan was so that nobody in future generations could ever say that that people on the east side of the Jordan, they don't belong to Yahweh. And so that our children will know that they have free access to go to Shiloh and later on to Jerusalem to worship the living God at the temple. That was their reason for doing that altar. But verse 11 says that the Israelites jumped to conclusions. And so if you take your Bibles now and look at chapter 22 and uh, beginning with verse 30, would you stand with me? Chapter 22, verse 30. When Phinehas the priest and the leaders of the community... The heads of the clans of the Israelites heard what Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh had to say. They were pleased. And Phinehas, son of Eleazar the priest, said to Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is with us, because you have not acted unfaithfully toward the Lord in this matter. Now you have rescued the Israelites from the Lord's hand. Then Phinehas, son of Eleazar the priest, and and the leaders returned to Canaan from their meeting with the Reubenites and Gadites and Gilead. And they reported to the Israelites, They were glad to hear the report, and they praised God. And they talked no more about going to war against them to devastate the country where the Reubenites and the Gadites lived. And the Reubenites and the Gadites gave the altar, this name, a witness between us that the Lord is God. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, here we read a story of a conflict that ends in peace, a conflict that is averted, And uh, not all conflicts are averted, are they? I wouldn't need to go into many stories. You all have your own. You all have your own stories. You all have your own illustrations of a family life, a marriage, a church relationship, a business relationship, somewhere where in some capacity... You saw mistrust enter into relationships. You saw conflict result because of those mistrusts. And as a result, because of no resolution, division, destruction of a marriage, of a family, of a church, and so on. I think there are a few things that we could learn from witnessing what Israel does in this chapter. And you'll notice from the insert in your bulletin that first question I would like to explore is that when there is peace, so when things are well, The question I want to ask is, where do seeds of mistrust come from? I mean, when things were all going well, where does does it start? In verses 1 to 9, if you were to take the time to read it in chapter 22, you'd see that this is an emotional parting of brothers in Christ. This is a difficult parting of the ways. This is an emotional goodbye. This is leaving gifts with each other and blessing each other and hugging each other with tears. And yet just a, a few days later, or maybe weeks later, they're, they're ready to go to war. When, in times of peace, where does it start? Where do mistrust, where does it, um, where do seeds of mistrust come from? And I want to suggest to you that it starts by attitudes that are held in the heart. Attitudes are like seeds that are held in the heart, even in peaceful times, that can germinate when anything of substance is added to the, the seed to cause a problem. And so the, the seed attitude is in the heart, and all it takes is some stress or distress, some pressure or some circumstance to be added to that seed, and it will begin to grow and, and start to cause a real conflict and division in relationships. We get a sense of that in this scripture when we look at verse 11 for example, we notice that the author is using terminology that's very divisive. He's talking about the altar that was built on the Israelite side. <laughs> We're not all 12 tribes Israelites. The Israelites, later on, that's the, the language. We get the, the their side and our side kind of language happening. You see, I'm, I'm suggesting to you that way back when these two and a half tribes pleaded with Moses that they would be able to settle on the eastern side of the Jordan, that in their hearts of many of the Israelites was an attitude in seed form that was planted that said, you're not, you're not obeying God fully and we are. You're not a true Israelite. That's not really the promised land, and and you're compromising. And an attitude began. The we-they attitude, the us and them, the ins and the outs, the haves and the have-nots. We all understand what we're talking about. We make our boundaries, just as the Jordan became more than just a boundary of water. We make our boundaries. We have our little mini Jordans. They may be geographic or financial or relational or they may be ethnic or cultural. As a church, we are enjoying a time of peace. I praise God for that. We're enjoying a wonderful time of peace and and blessing in our church family. Great relationship happening. But I have been around long enough... To know that even in this time of peace, there is possibly lurking in any one of our hearts the seeds, the attitudinal seeds of mistrust, of we, they, of in and out, that can cause problems as soon as distress or pressure or circumstance provides it. And believe me, friends, building a new building is enough stress and and circumstance to cause anything to happen. And as soon as that, as soon as the pressure comes, what does Jesus say? Out of the overflow of the heart, out of the overflow of these seed attitudes that are in the heart, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then all of a sudden it's out. And once it's out, as we see in this text, there's no telling how it's interpreted. And so that's the first thing. Secondly, the second lesson I think that we learn from this text and from Israel in their history is where, when there is not peace, when there is not this time of peace, why do things come apart? I mean, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. Uh, When there's not a time of peace, we all face times of distress or not having peace in our families, in our marriages, in church, in wherever you are. But when there's not a time of peace, why does it have to come apart? I mean, why do they have to jump to the war button here? I think there's two good reasons here. First of all, the Eastern tribes that built the altar had no communication at all to the Western tribes about what they were doing, at least as far as we can see. There's no transparency here. And so there's no interpretation of what this means. And secondly, that the Western tribes, instead of going to really get the first hand information before they decide to talk about war, kind of a premature conversation of war. They jump to conclusions. They are beginning right off the bat to say they've crossed over and they've crossed over spiritually. Now they are worshiping a different God. They're not going to offer sacrifices on Yahweh's altar at the, at the tabernacle and temple. They are, they are now turning away from God. Jumped to conclusions. Expected the worst. Instead of thinking of the best, they thought the worst of their brothers. I think these same two reasons exist why we see a lot of conflict in our relationships today as well. Bad communication and jumping to conclusions, believing rumors instead of going to the source. And when you go to the source saying, when you said this or when you did this, what did you mean? Because maybe you received something different than what was intended. And then there's the whole phantom arguments. Have you ever had a phantom argument? You know the kind of arguments I mean, don't you? Well, if they say this, well, then I'm going to say this. And then if they say this, well, I'm going to tell them about that. And pretty soon, within a matter of minutes, you're in your mind way down, way down a pathway that is absolutely not reality. And you're a spring that's been ready to spring and, and a, a trap that is ready for someone to fall into. Phantom arguments, jumping to conclusions. When I came to White Ridge Baptist Church over four years ago, the moderator of our church family was Azar Lalden up here taking notes. Good, good brother. <laughs> I mentioned his name. I told him, I'm not going to give him five bucks like I usually do with my family. But, not, but now that I'm talking about him, I got to. I said to Azar at the beginning, I'd like to talk in my first board meeting about best practices policy. And I laid out what I feel are very important ABCs of best practice policy. And the A of best practices policy was to assume the good intentions behind everything unless proven otherwise assume good intentions now you might be receiving it as a slap in the face you might receive it as an offense but the 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 deal is I'm gonna believe you have a good intention your intent was not malicious a assume good intentions regardless of what comes down at you B. believe the best in your colleagues capability to fulfill their job their ministry their role believe in them and then C, communicate with transparency about all mutual concerns. Don't keep secrets. I made a commitment to the present moderator, Dave Wynne, one day, and I violated it once that I can think of. I said, Dave, you'll never have a meeting that I'm at where you're going to be surprised at what I say. And I would ask the same for you. of you. We've tried to live by that. It means we have to get together and talk things through and, and duke it out. And sometimes we don't agree, but, but we respect and we know that God is the one that's over all. Communicate with transparency. You see, if, if Israel would have followed the ABCs of best practice policy, we could have avoided getting them to the brink of civil war in this text. The third lesson that I think we come from in this text is that when peace is being restored, what must occur to give it a chance? What has to happen if, if there's kind of this will for peace and restoration and resolve? What has to happen if it's going to get a chance? And I think there's five things. First of all, there has to be basic agreement on some core issues, or core values. You see, it's interesting that both, both tribes, both groups, believed that the only true God is Yahweh and the only true altar is in Shiloh. They agreed on that. And that had to be that kind of basic agreement and zeal for the Lord. So it made, this, it, made it possible for them to restore when there was a misunderstanding. Secondly, there was a willingness to confront sin and also to be corrected, to be confronted and i don't know if we're very good at either actually think about it for a moment are you very good at either side of that sometimes we just avoid confronting sin speaking the truth in love it says in ephesians 4 will grow up into him who is the head so sometimes it comes down like a hammer or sometimes it comes around so wishy-washy beating around the bush that you don't even know what the guy's talking about confrontation we see in this text boy it was clear it was clear it's confrontation, but then the other thing that was clear was was amazing was that they received it when they, they, the delegation comes. They received it, and they said, "No, no, brothers, you know they didn't come back with this. Well, who do you think you are talking to me that way? They didn't receive it with this. How dare you accuse us of no." They received it. There was humility, teachability. Next next we see that there was a willingness to take the initiative. It was the Western tribes that sent a delegation to cross the Jordan to the eastern side and visit them. They took the initiative. One of the things that we learned earlier in our marriage was that if we're going to resolve things that come up and our first year of marriage was our most difficult year, if we're going to resolve things, then someone has to take the initiative when we have a conflict. And I was, I was so glad, and I was tell, talking to a premarital couple this past week, and, and I, I said to them, you know, I was so glad that our very first home that we rented in Eagle River, Ontario, had two bedrooms. And the reason was because we'd, we'd be laying awake at night talking, trying to resolve a conflict, and then it, it would just escalate, and then one would just leave and go to the other bedroom. But then within minutes you'd hear the pitter-patter of feet going from one bedroom to the other to resolve the conflict Usually it was me <laughs> Passing not here today I can say Maybe that's cuz I was the most one wrong right Yeah that's the, that's the right Has to be someone that takes the initiative Pride hinders us from taking the initiative. And when we do take the initiative, pride hinders us from owning our own stuff and not pointing out the blame in the other party. Next, willingness to, get, to give the benefit of the doubt. You know, they didn't send the army, praise the Lord. They sent a delegation. Can you imagine what would have happened if they'd have shown up on the east side of the Jordan at the, at the territory of the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and the whole nine-and-a-half tribes had their army ready to go, swords drawn. No, they sent a delegation. There was something, even though they were ready to go to war, there was something in them that, that gave the benefit of the doubt. Do you do that with people? Or are you too quick to hit the anger button? In uh, a former church I pastored, there was a, a very difficult meeting one evening we had to have on a Sunday night. And uh, it was a disciplinary action had to be taken. We had to confront somebody. We, our goal was restoration for that person to God and to the fellowship of the church. I want to tell you there's no discipline tonight happening. So that you know, don't be afraid to come to the meeting. The day before the meeting, a lawyer showed up at my door and said, if you mention my client's name, you'll be sued. Didn't have a chance to start. Didn't give it the benefit of the doubt. Didn't have the wherewithal as a church family to solve our own problems before God. Everybody lost in that one. Everybody lost. So we have to be ready to give the benefit of the doubt. And then, fifthly, willingness to be part of the solution. You know, my favorite verse in all this chapter is in 19. I love it. The fact that as the Western tribes confront the Eastern tribes about the problem they perceive, it says, If the land you possess is defiled... Come over to the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and share the land with us. You see what they're doing? They're saying, we'll be part of the solution. Don't rebel against God. We'll just divide up the land differently and you can have some of my land. Be part of the solution. If you're going to confront sin, are you willing to sacrifice enough to be part of the solution? I think of uh, scenarios over the years where, where I can think of a, a, a couple that before marriage, for convenience sake, decided to live together. And going to them and, and saying, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. You, you want to be holy before the Lord as you get married and so on. If you're going to do that, aren't shouldn't you say, you know, if it's an economic thing, we're going to help you with this. I know somebody that we're going to pay the rent. Or you come live with us? Are we prepared to be part of the solution? I tell you, if, if if these things, these five things occur, I think that we could give peace a chance in any conflict, any any circumstance that divides relationship. I've been at funerals where I've had to be careful that I couldn't let certain brothers talk to other brothers. Certain family members see other family members, and I want to say, friend, when it comes time to die, make sure that's all you have left to do. Don't let these things go on. Well, what are the many Jordans that separate us in our families? What are they that separate us in our friendships, in the church? What causes suspicion and mistrust? If 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 the Holy Spirit points any of that out in your life, I ask you today, name it. Name the the seed attitude that, that is not right and root it out. Take it away. Let God be glorified in this church family, in your marriage, in your family life, in your friendships. Let God be glorified. And don't let anything be allowed to fester.